Welcome to the Vineyard Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information on this podcast or other resources, go to vineyardlive.us. To learn more about us, go to thevineyardchurch.us. So there are many, 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 many straightforward aspects of life. And then there are aspects of life that require a very, very thorough discovery process. For example, children. Children are these teeny humans that on the surface look harmless. (laughs) They, They look cute. They look cuddly. And then one day it hits you. You're like, aha, it hits you probably at 3 a.m. And you say to yourself, I've been bamboozled. Like, somebody got me. This is the case for my wife and I. So my wife Sharon and I, we have two little children. We have a little girl named Zoe. She is two years old. And we have a son named Levi. He is five months old. And before we had these uh, two children, we made very, very bold vows and we we, we did a lot of research. We kept up with like what was healthy and what was developmentally appropriate, all of these things. Our vows were like, you know, we will not give our children a pacifier because pacifiers create codependence and we will not raise codependent adults. We won't have any part of that. We also vowed that we would exclusively nurse our babies for exactly 24 months because the research says that that is the best, exclusively. Easy, easy, you know, no big deal. So fast forward to when we actually have Zoe. We're in the hospital. It's beautiful. It's, it's miraculous. And then that day finally comes that we've been waiting for. We get to take baby Zoe home. And we take her home, and that first night, she is screaming her head off. It is Insane. We're like rocking around, you know, walking around. It's 3 a.m. We have tried everything that the research says to do, that the nurse told us to do. I don't understand why they don't send babies home with like some sort of manuals or something. There's no vetting process. You just let us walk out with this? Like, what, what's happening? So, trying to like figure this out. And I remember, I'm like, oh yeah, I have a pacifier in this house. Someone gave us. I frantically start looking for this pacifier. Where is it at? Where is it? I'm looking in the closet under the bed. I finally get this pacifier. I find it. I put it in Zoe's mouth. And it was almost immediately she goes to sleep. And everyone, it was like the heavens just parted and it opened. And there was an entire host of angels just (laughs) praising the Lord with us. It was glorious. And, you know, we also broke our other vow that we would exclusively nurse our baby for exactly 24 months. Night three, everybody, (laughs) 4 a.m., I went out to the store to buy formula because how many of you know that nursing is not as straightforward as the research makes it sound? See, Sharon and I, we were under-informed about what it looked like to have a baby. 
And in the same way, I believe that it's easy for us to be underinformed about the nature of grace. So for this reason, we have been in a series all June called Marvelous, Empowered by Grace. And in this series, we have been exploring what is grace and what is this fruit in our lives. And we have done this partly by looking at some of our favorite Marvel superheroes like uh, Iron Man and Captain America and Thor. And I have the honor and the privilege of closing out our series. And the title of this talk is Grace and Weakness. I think we saved the best Marvel superhero for last. We're going to look at the story of the Black Panther. And he, uh, the Black Panther sent me the shirt straight from Wakanda. Um, he also sent me this necklace as well. And if you know anything about the Black Panther, his suit is actually in the necklace. I'm not going to confirm or deny that there may be a suit in there. Um, or I could have got all this from Amazon. Who knows? Um, let's pray, and we're going to jump in. Holy Spirit, we welcome you here. We know that you're here, but we say come even more. We want your fullness in this place. I thank you for what you want to do. I thank you for what you want to release and what you want to um, uh, teach us and, and encourage us in. Free us from, do whatever you want to do, Lord. We just say, have your way in Jesus' name, amen, amen. One thing that I want to highlight is um, there's a passage in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 4.20. It says that the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, but of power. And what I felt like the Lord said is that as this message is preached, that some of you who have physical conditions, pains in your bodies, ailments, you're going to be healed during this talk. So um, because it is his goodness that heals us, as we talk about his grace and we talk about his faithfulness, it creates this atmosphere where, where, where things, that, things can just happen. And we had some people from the last service that actually received like healing in their bodies just, just during the talk and during worship. So what we're going to do is at some point, I'm going to do a body check. I'm going to ask you to check your bodies out, and you just wave at me in the talk. If it's before I do the body check, feel free to wave at me. If it's after, wave at me again. So we understand a lot about grace, don't we? We, we understand that grace is God's kindness and his favor towards us. We understand that it is by grace that we are saved, and it is grace that empowers us to live a supernatural and transformed life. We know that grace cannot be earned. These are many of the aspects of grace that we are well acquainted with. But there are some moments in our lives, like Sharon and I's experience with baby Zoe, there are some moments that are seemingly contradictory, and it begs the question, like, well, where is grace? Where is Jesus at in all of this? Have I been bamboozled? When business isn't going well, when, when there always seems to be strife between you and your spouse, or, or, or when, when, when there are just tough things happening in our lives, when, when it seems like the addiction just keeps getting stronger and stronger, or when things are just are tough, it begs the question, well, where is Jesus? Have I been abandoned? Is he here? Is he with me? See, in our moments of suffering and tough, tough stuff, when tough stuff is happening, 
our expectations of grace just seem to go unmet. You know, we, we, we ask, well, Jesus, wait a second. I thought that I was seated in heavenly places in you. I thought that, that I was above and not beneath. How can I be experiencing this? How can, I, how can I be going through this right now? And what happens is, is that disappointment begins to settle in our hearts because our understanding of grace does not seem to match our experience of grace. And it becomes difficult to trust in God. It becomes difficult to hope in the future and hope in, to have hope for what he has for us. I don't know if you've been there. Or maybe we default to just blaming ourselves for everything. Well, oh, this is happening, this tough thing is happening in my life, it must be my fault. Maybe this is a punishment from God. Maybe, maybe I did something wrong to deserve this. Listen, I came here to tell you this morning that grace is not the absence of something, it is the presence of someone. Grace is the presence of the person, the power, and the promises of God in our lives and in our situations. There are many people in the Bible who are well, well, well acquainted with suffering and this, this tension between grace and suffering. Probably the most famous is the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul, he experienced all of it. He, he knew suffering in, in, in a level that we can't even wrap our heads around. He, he had been shipwrecked uh, before. He, he'd been stoned. He had been uh, thrown in jail. His friends turned their back on him. He'd, he, he'd had his name dragged through the mud. He experienced suffering on so many levels. And in 2 Corinthians 12, he is talking to the church of Corinth, and he's telling them, what does it actually mean? to be a follower of Jesus? What does it mean to be a true apostle of Christ Jesus? And this is what he says in verse 7 to 9. The extraordinary level of revelation I've received is no reason for anyone to exalt me. For this is why a thorn in my flesh was given to me, the adversary's messenger sent to harass me, keeping me from becoming arrogant. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to relieve me of this, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I'm weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. This is a very popular passage, but it's a very misunderstood passage. Many have taken this passage to sort of imply that God sends us sickness and he sends us diseases or, or that he somehow inflicts us with harm so that his grace can rest on our lives. Some have taken this thorn that Paul is talking about here as being sent from God. Like Paul, uh, God gave Paul this thorn to actually keep him humble, to keep him in check. And all of these interpretations are, are not accurate. It actually doesn't, doesn't show and, and, and prove the nature of God. I want to kind of talk about this phrase, a thorn in my flesh was given to me. What does that mean? What is the thorn? What is Paul talking about? Why is this significant? So the thorn is this biblical representation of suffering. We know that the thorn is not a good thing. It's not an enjoyable thing. And in Numbers 33, 55, we see the very first usage of this phrase. It just says this, but if you do not drive out the inhabitants of the land, those you allow to remain will become barbs in your eyes and thorns in your side. They will give you trouble in the land where you will live. So the language that Paul uses is very, very intentional language. It's cultural language. It's basically Paul saying, 
You know, it's a figure of speech. It's like him saying, hey, you know, for this reason, a pain in my neck was given to me. If someone said this, we would know that they're probably not talking about a literal pain, but a, mer- a, a metaphorical thing, right? And what's interesting is that Paul tells us why he has this thorn. He doesn't tell us what the thorn is, but he tells us why he has it. He says that it is because of the extraordinary level of revelation that I have this thorn. See, it was because Paul was pursuing Jesus in such a way that it was changing the earth. It was because of the revelation that Paul was releasing on the earth that he had this thorn. It was because Paul was being so effective in advancing the kingdom of God, the enemy sent a strategic demonic assignment to harass Paul to try to stop what God was doing through him. What's the point? The point is, is that when we are in our seasons of, of struggle and suffering and difficulty, we often ask, well, what, why is this happening to me? What, what did I do wrong? Did I do something to deserve this? What if it's not about what you are doing wrong? What if it's about all the things you are doing right? What if it's because you decided to follow Jesus with everything? What if it's because you are a son or daughter of God? What if it's actually because you, you decided to step into a new layer of your purpose and your assignment? The enemy is intimidated. He's afraid what God wants to do through you. So he sent a thorn. He sent something to harass you to try to get you to turn the other way. Now, do we do stupid things? You bet. Yep. Do we do things that actually cause our own suffering? We do. We do. And I acknowledge that. But that's not the focus of our talk today. I, wanna, I, wanna, I want us to focus on Paul's experience, which I believe is also our experience, of going through difficulties, tough things, because of our kingdom uh, effectiveness and because of who God has created us to be and what he has on our lives. And this is also the story of the Black Panther. So the Black Panther, also known as King T'Challa, he is the king of the fictional African nation Wakanda. And as the king of Wakanda, he has ingested what is called the heart-shaped herb. And the heart-shaped herb gives him his superhuman, supernatural powers, and it makes him the Black Panther. So after the assassination of his father, the Black Panther steps into his calling as king of Wakanda. And as he steps into his calling, as he steps into his purpose, he is met with all sorts of resistance or thorns, to use our language for today. Now, the, the, the greatest thorn in his life, his name was Eric Killmonger. And he was, he was a bad dude. He was, man, he was a, he's a mean guy. He was a trained assassin, mercenary, all of these things. And he had a vendetta against Wakanda and he was coming, he's coming after the throne of Wakanda. I want you guys to check out this clip to see what happens. Ask who I am. You're Eric Stevens, an American black operative, a mercenary nicknamed Killmonger. That's who you are. That's not my name, princess. Ask me, King. No. Ask me. Take him away. I found my daddy with panther claws in his chest. You ain't the son of a king, you're the son of a murderer. Who you ever see, son? Lies! I'm afraid not, Queen Mother. 
Hey, Auntie. I'm exercising my blood right. The challenge for the mantles of King and Black Panther. Do not do this, T'Challa. As the son of Prince Injobo, he is within his rights. He has no rights here. The challenge will take weeks to prepare. Weeks? I don't need weeks. The whole country ain't got to be there. I just need him and somebody to get me out of these chains. T'Challa, what do you know of this? I accept your challenge. This is the ultimate, ultimate thorn in the Black Panther's flesh. And I would like to point out that the Black Panther did nothing to deserve this per se. He, he didn't make a wrong choice. He didn't, he didn't make a bad decision. The only thing that the Black Panther did was step into his purpose as king. And because of that, he became the target of Eric Killmonger's hatred and his frustration. See, when we begin to step in what God has designed us for, when we begin to step into deeper like layers of our identity, don't be surprised when the opposition comes. Don't be surprised when the thorns come. It's not a sign of, of, of God not being with us. It's actually a sign of the enemy's fear and his frustration. So Eric Killmonger and the Black Panther, you know, they go into this ritual combat. And it's like the ultimate battle, it's the rumble in the jungle, like it's, it's for all the marbles. And the Black Panther has to have his supernatural power stripped away from him for this battle. And uh, because the Black Panther's powers are only for the king of Wakanda. So they're battling, it's intense, they have swords and spears and shields, and it is not looking good at all for the Black Panther. His, his back is against the ropes. It is, it's a gruesome scene, and I want you guys to see what happens next. in a coma, barely clinging to life. One of our fishermen found him at the edge of the river border. He brought him to me. Why do you have him in the snow? It is the only thing keeping him from joining the ancestors. We need to get him to my lab. I can heal him there. Take him. He'll be dead in seconds. Nakia, the herb. <gasps> so Killmonger 
wins the battle. He, he wins and he throws the Black Panther over the edge of this waterfall and it looks like the Black Panther story ends there. It looks like he's been defeated by his thorn. But that would be a horrible end to a movie. Um, and we would, we would give it poor reviews. So the Black Panther lives, everybody. He is still alive. And he is found by the Jabari tribe. They rescue him. And at the same time, the Black Panther's mother and his sister and his girlfriend, they go to the Jabari tribe to try to enlist some help. They're like, hey, we need help. These foreigners are sitting on our throne, or, or this foreign guy is sitting on our throne. We need your help. Not knowing that the Black Panther is actually alive. So when his mother finds him, when they see him, his mother begins to do what the Black Panther is too weak and broken to do for himself. She gives him another dose of the heart-shaped herb, which heals him, it strengthens him, and it gives him his supernatural powers back. In essence, his mother comes to him in his suffering and ministers to him. So when, when we, you know, we ask sometimes in these moments of difficulty and, and struggle, Jesus, where are you? Jesus, what are you doing? What, what, what's going on right now? In the same way that T'Challa's mother was with him and came to meet him in his need, Jesus comes and he invades our suffering. He invades our situations. He comes and he ministers to us in them. He ministers hope. He ministers healing. He ministers restoration in our moments of suffering. Jesus meets us in our time of need with what we need, with what we need. He is with you in the suffering. It may not feel like it in the moment, but have faith he is ministering to you in it. Grace is not the absence of something. It is the presence of someone. I want to I talk about how Jesus is connected to our struggle, to our suffering, to our difficulty in, in a unique way. Um, I want to I look at John 19, 1 to 2. This is what John writes about Jesus. He says, Then Pilate ordered Jesus to be brutally beaten with a whip of leather straps embedded with metal, and the soldiers also wove thorn branches into a crown and set it on his head and placed a purple robe over his shoulders. So see, right Right before Jesus is nailed to a cross, right before he dies the ultimate death, he is brutally beaten. Then Roman soldiers, they take thorn branches, they make a crown, and then they place it on his already bruised, already bloody head. And they thought, surely, this is a symbol of mockery. They thought that they were just having some fun. But what they did not understand, what they did not have eyes to see, is that this was actually ordained by the Father himself. Because with Jesus, in him wearing this crown of thorns, he was actually communicating to us that not only is he the Lord of our ups and our good times, but he is also Lord of our suffering too. You may have a thorn in your side, but he wore a crown of thorns on his head. He is Lord of our suffering too, and he is with you in it. He is Lord when we feel fear. He is Lord when we feel faith. He is Lord in our seasons of breakthrough, but he's Lord in our seasons of brokenness. You are not alone in it. He is with you. He is connected to it. He is with us. Let's, 
let's do a body check really quick. Just move your body around, check and see if, if you had pain before, check and see if anything's shifted. Wave your hands at me if, if you feel like something has changed. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. I see your hand. Amen. Keep, keep checking your body as, as we continue, as we go on. I think it's easy sometimes for us to forget. I know I forget this. I forget that I actually have a God who sympathizes with my struggle. I have a God who sympathizes with my pain because he has been there. He, he knows what isolation is like. He knows what depression and anxiety is like. He knows what sexual temptation is like. He knows what it's like because he has been there. And he's experienced all of these things as a man and overcame them, which proves that in our relationship with him, in our intimate time with him, we have everything that we need to overcome. This is what Hebrews 4.15 says about Jesus. He understands humanity. Aren't you thankful that you have a God who understands humanity? For as a man, our magnificent king priest was tempted in every way, just as we are, and conquered sin. So now we come freely and boldly to where love is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss, and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in our time of weakness. See, now, now we can come boldly into his presence. And as we do, as we come boldly into his presence, we discover like hidden treasures, new layers of him and new layers of his grace, uniquely tailored for our situation, for our moment, for where we are in this, in this time that we're in. Listen, I love that this passage, it doesn't say like, just come before the throne of grace and all of your problems will go away. All your problems will just immediately go away. Just come before the throne of grace. No, your thorn may not automatically go away, but grace won't allow that thorn to stop what God wants to do in your life. That thorn may not go away, but grace won't allow that thorn to stop what God wants to do in your future. So back to the Black Panther, the Black, uh, the Black Panther story. How does this thing end? That's what we really all want to know is what happens. So after the Black Panther's mother comes and ministers to him, he goes back to finish what he started. He goes back to take back what belongs to him, to take back what is his. Let's watch this scene. I just, I love that. I never yielded. And as you can see, I'm not dead. I feel like that's for somebody this morning. I feel like the Lord wants you to know that you thought the battle was over. You feel like this is the end, but the Lord says, no, you're not dead. There's still more to be fought. There's still more in you. 
Because he is alive in you, you are alive. Because he lives in you, you are alive. Don't yield now. Don't give up now. Because he is with you. So after this very, very intense uh, scene right here, this battle takes place between the Black Panther and Eric Killmonger. And this is, the alt- like, this is, the, this is what this, the movie has built up to, is this moment right here. And it's the best, best scene in the movie. And the Black Panther, ultimately, he wins the battle. He's restored to the throne of Wakanda. And it's, it's a beautiful thing. But something changed in the Black Panther. Something shifted in him. See, before his struggle, before his suffering with Eric Killmonger, he was actually content with just being the same kind of king as his dad. He was content with maintaining the status quo and just doing all of the same things that Wakanda had been doing. But it was in the suffering that he became a new kind of king. He became a brand new king. You know, you may ask, well, what is the, what's the fruit of Jesus being with us in our suffering? What is the outcome? Why is that significant? Well, it is in our moments of suffering, in our moments of, of, of difficulty, where Jesus, he actually comes and he ministers to us. He ministers hope and, and power and, and boldness, whatever we need, and we become a new kind of king and queen. We become a new kind of person. We become who we were created to become. It's not that God sends the thorns, no. It's not that he sends the suffering, no. But he can work within it. He is the king that comes and meets us in it, and it changes us. Jesus' ministry to us in these moments upgrades us, changes us. This is what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9. He says, but he answered me, my grace is always more than enough for you, and my power finds its full expression, where? Through your weakness. So I will celebrate my weaknesses, for when I am weak, I sense more deeply the mighty power of Christ living in me. Paul is saying that my weakness, my, my, my brokenness, my, the, the, the suffering, these are the environments where the person of grace himself, Jesus, he can come and invade, and in a moment, it, it, it transforms me. It starts to do something in me, and I, I, I become something new. I do things that I couldn't do before. These are the environments where his power can be made known. See, we all go through stuff. We're all going to go through seasons of, of, of struggle, everyone in the world. The difference is, though, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. And because we have Jesus, it's unto something. We are becoming something new. We are becoming something different. My one action step is this. Spend time before the throne of grace this week. Go into his presence. Because when we go into his presence, when we go before the throne of grace, we receive an upgrade in grace. We receive whatever it is that we need to continue to be victorious. Me and my wife, we are learning this. We're we're learning that we have more access to grace than we realize. Being parents, we're in that challenging stage right now where we're being squeezed. We're, We're honestly, we're being squeezed, but guess what? Jesus is ministering to us in it. And because of that, we are becoming the kind of parents that he has called us to be. It's not the squeezing that is changing us, it is Jesus in the squeezing that is changing, changing us. 
We get to become the parents that we are called to be, the parents that our children need and the parents that our future children need. And when I say future children, I mean spiritual sons and daughters. Um, I, I have a five-month-old. Ain't nobody thinking about that right now. Listen, we have access to a power that all of the Marvel superheroes wish they had. More powerful than vibranium, more powerful than Thanos with all six of the infinity stones. It is the throne of grace, where the person of grace himself is seated. His name is Jesus, and he is with us. He is for us. And as we learn, as we learn to draw near to him in our moments of suffering and challenge, we will receive an upgrade in whatever we need, whether it be peace, whether it be hope, whether it be power, he is there to provide it for us. Let's pray. He's with us in our moments of need. Jesus, we thank you so much just that you, Lord, are, are with us in every season, the good seasons, but also the challenging ones. That even the challenging seasons, God, are the environments where your power can be made manifested in, 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 even, in an even more powerful way. So I just, I thank you, Lord, for what you're doing in our lives, and I thank you for who we are becoming in you. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to the message today. To experience more powerful messages, go to vineyardlive.us or join our Vineyard Live Plus community to view conferences, trainings, and special teaching.